All right, uh, let me pray. I was going to pray later on the message, but I'll pray now since people are still meandering. It's, it's, a, it's a meandering type of day. God, we ask that you would be in this room. God, when that song said, walking around these walls, I, I thought by now they'd fall. I was feeling that. But then when that song said, I've seen you do it, and I'll see you do it again, I was feeling that too. Some of us need some walls to fall down today. Some of us are walking around something right now just thinking, how come, how come that hasn't happened yet? But you've given us no reason not to trust you. There's not one reason not to trust you. We trust you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome back to City Life. We're going to get right to it. We're in the Gospel according to Mark. If you're brand new, we're going verse by verse through the Gospel according to Mark. But for the last three weeks and maybe one week more, we're going to bounce around the Gospel according to Mark. And we're not going to go right in a row because we're trying to hit a topic pretty well. And we are going to be in Mark 12, 41 through 44 today. Mark 12, 41 through 44 today. If you want to turn there with me. We love when you turn there with us. We love it. We love when you bring notebooks. When you get yourself a moleskin, you pull out the moleskin. We love when you get yourself a one-subject notebook. Some of you are real heroes today, and you brought a trapper keeper. Anybody remember trapper keeper? Come on, really? Trapper keeper days, yes. If you brought a trapper keeper today, I'm going to give you all the tithes and offering. You win today. The treasurers are like, no, we don't do that. But you win something today. I'll get you a gift card or something if you brought a trapper keeper today. Um, We're just glad when you participate. Here we go. Verse 41, and it's super loud here, Pedro. Verse 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I just pastored a City Life wedding a couple weeks ago. Uh, Lulu and Carla are officially Luis and Carla Calderon. Yes. They are one in Christ now. There is no turning back. So, I love weddings, uh, at least the reception part. I'm all about, usually during a wedding I have some sort of responsibility, but the reception part, I'm out of responsibility. Everybody's a little bit loose. Everybody's a little bit juicy, and they're out on the dance floor. I like to be out on this for myself. I like for everybody to go, oh, okay, pastor, thought you were a white guy, didn't know you had a little salsa verde in the system, so I like to get out there and do a little something, and, and I also like to watch the dance floor, I like to watch it, because there's four types of people on the dance floor, there's probably more than that, but there are four types of people on the dance floor that I count, and I'm just going to list off these, these four people, and look, I may know who you are already, because I may have been at a wedding that you were at. I will not call you out by name unless it's positive, but I'm just letting you know, I know who you identify as, and I want you to identify who, you're, who you are on the dance floor at a wedding. The first one is dance anyway guy. Dance anyway. Or gal. And this is the person who can't dance, but you guessed it, dances anyway. Right? They're doing something from 15 years ago. They're doing a cabbage patch, okay? Oh, the Tootsie Roll, yeah. Uh, they're doing, they're raising the roof. All right? And they're always biting their lip, right? Mmm. You didn't know? Mmm. You didn't know I had raising the roof in my repertoire? They think it's happening for them, right? We'll call that dance anyway guy or gal. Maybe, maybe that's 
who you are. You like to dance anyway. You don't, you don't care what people think. Do you, boo-boo? We're, very, we're b- very proud that you are able to be who you are in Christ, and you dance anyway. Amen. 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 <laughs> I've seen you out there, Yates. Is that what you... <laughs> no, I'm just... You're good. You're good. Uh, number two, surprising. This is the person that's typically pretty quiet, and then all of a sudden you see them on the dance floor, and they're out there for three hours. You're like, wow, I didn't know this about you. It's very surprising to you. I'm going to call out, because this is a positive part of this part of the sermon. I'm going to call out Jonathan. What? What? Jonathan is a quiet gentleman. We all need quiet gentlemen. We have way too many people who talk too much like me and are too loud like me. We need some quiet people in our life who are very reflective and thoughtful, and Jonathan is one of those people. But when quiet people get out there and they're just tearing up the dance floor, you're like, wow, that is surprising. It brings joy to your life, right? Jonathan was out there wearing out all sorts of planks of wood. The wood just wanted to go home because he was just out there for hours. Um, if y'all remember Johnny, Johnny was here about uh, probably six or eight months ago. She moved to Texas. Lloyd and Johnny, great couple. Johnny was nine months pregnant. The food came out, and she's like, I don't know why y'all are sitting down. All right, Montel Jordan just came out. This is how we do it. She's like, what? Why are you sitting down? She's out there. She was out there for hours. Maybe you're a surprising person. People didn't know you had that in your system. Number three, maybe you're a watching guy. It does not matter if someone gives you a $300 gift certificate. You are not getting off that chair. You are going to watch the dance floor. Now, I don't like to call people out when it's negative, Pedro. Uh, but <laughs> there are all sorts of people who just sit there watching. We'll call them watching gal, watching guy. <laughs> Pastor Pedro. Number four. Instructions only. All get out on the dance floor if there's some form of instruction to the song, right? Uh, maybe it's the cha-cha slide, or maybe it's like you've known the instructions for a while because you practice in the mirror by yourself. It's the Macarena. Uh, maybe you'll get out there if there's a conga line where you just have to, that's all you have to do, and so you're out there. But, but those are the only times you'll get on the dance floor, okay? I want you to identify yourself in this room. Figure out who you are, and just for fun, why don't you take a, take a second, tell a neighbor which one you are. It's all on the screen. Tell a neighbor which one you are. Go ahead, tell them which one you are. Yeah. Take some time, tell another neighbor, tell them which one you are. All right. All right. All right, that's enough. All right, we got it, we got it, we got it. I might have to pray again to get us back in. All right, so... You, you're, you can identify yourself in this room. I, I wanted to use that as practice because I want you to identify yourself in another room. Th- this other room that we're going to identify ourselves in is much different. It's ancient Palestine. Jesus is sitting in the room. Jesus is people watching. And he's identifying who people are during giving time. The stakes are much higher in this room. The stakes are your faith, who you are in Jesus your relationship with Jesus, if you have faith or you just talk about it, if you have trust in Jesus or you just talk about it, if you sing a song about trust but you don't mean it. These are the stakes. Intimacy with Jesus is a stake in this room. Maybe you don't think of money as part of your intimacy with Jesus, but it's very much tied to your intimacy with Jesus. These are the stakes in this room. Therefore, identifying yourself in this room and who you are is not enough. 
You have to identify who you are, identify who you want to be, humbly walk toward Jesus and say, Jesus, give me the process to be who I want to be. And then you need to take steps of faithfulness. Tomorrow, the next day, the next day, and you might take two steps back, so then you need to take three steps forward in Jesus. The people who make the most change, who experience the most change, are people who are subject to change themselves. Those are the people who change the world, who change the environment around them, who experience the change of Jesus in their heart, are the people that are subject to change themselves, people that create change. Meaning they have the ability to identify who they are in sobriety, identify who they are in sobriety. You know people who are a little bit drunk, right? They walk up to you and they're like, I'm this person, and you're thinking in your mind, no, you are not, right? This person identifies who they are in sobriety, walks toward Jesus in humility and asks him with courage to change their circumstance, to change their heart, and change who they are. It's not enough to just identify yourself in this room. You have to ask Jesus today, and Jesus can do it in a day. Jesus can do it in a sermon. <laughs> can you change me? What's it look like? What does my process look like? Let's pray one more time and let's identify who we are in this room. Jesus, we ask for you to uh, bring your Holy Spirit and identify who we are in this room. Who are we when Jesus is sitting in front of this giving box? What's our heart condition? Would you make it real for us today? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, cool, let's go back and start to identify who we are. Verse 41, we're going to break it down verse by verse. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Jesus picks where he's going to sit in church. And before you go judge Judy on Jesus, make sure you know you pick where you sit in church. It's very strategic. At one point, maybe you told your spouse, you told somebody that you came with, I want to sit in back. I want to sit outside of Justin's eye contact zone. Uh, I want to make sure I can sleep if I want to sleep. If I want to leave, I can, if I get offended by something Justin says, I want to sit in the back left. Or, or, or I want to sit all the way up front. I used to sit all the way up front in college because I just wanted to worship. And I didn't want to know if someone was watching me worship or, or they could see me. I just wanted to worship. And so I sat right up next to the screen so nobody could see me. But, but there's always strategic sitting there in church, isn't there? And, and Jesus is no different. He strategically sits himself in a perfect position to watch the giving box to watch what's going on. Now, this is hard for us to picture because we don't really do this type of thing, although we, we started a little, little bit of the ball rolling today, but we, we give in a box or we give online or some of us do automated giving, so it's very hard for us to picture what it looks like to, to, to live in this moment, in this time. So I, I'm hoping to be your narrator. I'm hoping to be your guide, but I want you to know that the first type of person in the room is Jesus. Jesus is always in the room when you're giving, you can't be Jesus. You can try to be it. That's the process of sanctification. That's what that word means, the process of becoming more like Jesus. But you can't be Jesus. That's okay. You're aiming for the rest of your life. That's a good aim. The point is, Jesus is in the room when you give. He strategically positions himself to watch these people. Now, he's not watching them because he's their religious hall monitor. He's watching them because he is the Lord of your heart. He's watching them because like three weeks ago we said there is an unbreakable cable tethered to your heart and that unbreakable cable is money and your giving life and Jesus cares 
about your heart. He's the only God that is paying attention to your heart. Every other God on the planet is paying attention to your religion, but Jesus is paying attention to the rhythms of your heart. And so he's watching because he knows if you don't have a giving life, you're missing out on one of the most intimate, life-giving, faith-feeding activities that exist on this planet. Let me say it again. If you don't have a giving life, you're missing out on one of the most intimate, life-giving, and faith-feeding activities that exist on this earth. Giving in God's kingdom is one of the most tangible and touching acts, touchable acts that you can do, period. Right? There's nothing more tangible and touchable than I need this. I need this to live. I need this to feed my kids. I need this for my false comforts, for my good comforts. I need this for my food. I need this for my roof. But I'm giving it to you, something touchable, and I want to watch what you do. My favorite spot to visit at the zoo is the touch tank. You ever been in a touch tank? Touch tank is fantastic. Now, I never quite know if those stingrays can still sting you. I'm always like, do they still sting? Is one just going to beep, just all of a sudden? Okay, you ever been in a touch tank? Your kids are like, oh, that's nice. They're running their fingers along whatever the crab or the whatever thing is in the touch tank. But the reason I love it is because it's the most intimate. It's the most tangible connection that you can have with the animals. Now, we don't want a tangible, touchable connection with the lions, okay? So this makes sense, all right? But this is the most intimate moment because there's something that you can touch. This is something that you can touch. It's something that touches every portion of your life. And so Jesus is always in the room when we're giving because if we're not giving, we're missing out on one of the most most faith-feeding, life-giving activities, most intimate activities that he has for us here on this earth. Can I just take a minute, just let me take a pit stop really quick and ask you two questions. Have you ever met anybody who's generous and miserable at the same time? I'll wait. (laughs) You ever met somebody who has a good giving life, they give to Jesus constantly, and they're like, you know what, I've been giving too much, I'm hungry. I don't have enough for my family. I've never met anybody like that. Jesus is always in the room. You can't be him, but he's always in the room when, when you are giving. Next type of person, that's the first type of person in the room. Next type of person, we'll read the scripture first. Many rich people put in large sums. Many rich people put in large sums. Now, you've got, you got to get this picture. There are typically 13 chests in an ancient giving room. 13 chests. Uh, some scholars believe they were shaped like trumpets. I don't know why, but there's 13 chests in a giving room. And many of them were for buying wood. Okay, so you drop some money in, you buy wood for the altar. Uh, you, you'd buy a pigeon to sacrifice. By the way, if we could just start a committee, maybe we should go back to the pigeon sacrificing thing just to get rid of some of the population. Um, if you're brand new, I'm joking. But we can always start a little meeting in the back afterward to see if we want to start doing that. So the, you, you, could, you could buy a pigeon, you could sacrifice a pigeon, a dove. There were six boxes, typically, for what's called a free will offering. And this is where our widow would have given, is the free will offering. But more on her in a minute. Let's talk about the many rich people. This is the room. You're walking over, you're wearing what you're wearing. We all know what you're wearing means something. Like some of y'all pointed out, my, my, more than three people pointed out my kicks today, my boats. Okay, yes, they're fantastic. They're from Kohl's, by the way. You don't, you don't have to be someone special to go to Kohl's, okay? These are, these are amazing, yes. You, but you know, by looking, you're like, wow, okay, those Nikes, you probably spent at least 30 bucks on those. You know 
how much I'm wearing. So many rich people are walking over to the box and people are thinking, I wonder what that person is going to give. Now this may actually be a nightmare that you had at some point. Everybody watching you while you went over and you gave, which maybe you woke up in sweats, and this is the scenario that these people are actually living in. So just picture that person. Let's just modernize it. They got that Gucci bag. You're like, oh, that's a nice Gucci bag. I wonder how much they're going to pull out of that Gucci bag. Oh, just $10? Wow, Sandy, you went in deep for that one with that Gucci bag. That man is wearing a Michael Kors shirt. He smells like aqua de Gio, and he only put in a 20 spot. Jesus sits down here, and he calls these people rich, or the scriptures call these people rich, and they're putting in these sums, and they're large sums, but the second type of person is someone who gives out of access. That's the second type of person. Rich folks walk over, and they give out of their access, out of their abundance. Now notice, Jesus doesn't voice his displeasure here. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't get angry. It's not like he flipped tables last week. Emmanuel preached a great message on Jesus flipping tables last week. He's not flipping tables. He's not yelling at folks. He does say elsewhere in the scriptures that it's really hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God because their idol pretty typically becomes money. But he doesn't get mad at them. He's just going to say they're not giving as much as this other woman. Kind of crazy. So mathematically, of course, they're giving more. But he's saying they're not giving as much. Why is that? Is Jesus bad at math, or is he getting on to something here? I think he's getting on to this. Your giving should have side effects. These people's giving, they don't have side effects. They're just, they're just taking a little cream off the top. They got this big, large Starbucks foam coffee to give a little bit of foam to the needy person, and they move on with their day. They're giving out of their abundance. It has no side effect on who they are and the people around them. Like my daughter came up to me after, after we, we, took, we took them, uh, you know, trick-or-treating. We went to 45,000 houses. They were out from 3 p.m. until 9 p.m. And she gives me one bag of Skittles, and she's like, you're welcome. <laughs> she wanted me to be, be impressed by that. She got candy for seven months. She gives me one little bag of Skittles, not even a big bag. Not even the rich people house bag. You know where they get the full bag? No, the fun size. She's going to give me two to make up for both of them. Nothing. She, here you go. Here's one little fun size, right? Out of her abundance. Some of you give out of your abundance, right? And your giving should be a pill that has side effects. You've seen these commercials, right? These commercials are like, take Cyclex for your athlete's foot. You can get bomb cyclone headaches, and you could keel over and die at any point, or have intestinal failure. But take this, and you're like, wow, I think I... Just deal with the athlete's foot at this point, right? Those side effects are huge. Now, now think the opposite, right? Your giving should have deep side effects on your faith. It should hurt a little bit. It should challenge you a little bit. It should challenge the people around you a little bit. You should see miracles. If you've been a follower of Jesus for maybe seven to ten years, you have these moments in your life. You have maybe seven to ten moments where you're like, that, is, that was a huge moment in my faith. More than half of those are typically related to money. Right? For me, that's the way it is. 
this should be something big for you. When you give, it should have side effects. It should affect you. It should affect the people around you. These people, they're giving out of their crazy amount of access, and therefore it doesn't affect them. It doesn't affect the people around them. Jesus is not impressed by them, and Jesus says, yeah, okay, they're giving out of their abundance. Good for them. Good for them. Second person is the person who gives out of their abundance. Let me ask the Holy Spirit now and ask you to be honest with the Holy Spirit, be honest with God. Is that you? Are you somebody who gives out of your abundance? Are you somebody who waits till you have abundance to give? Have you ever given before you got it? That means you're experiencing no side effects. And if you have no side effects... You're that person, and Jesus isn't that pleased with that person. Next person in the room, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. A poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny from the outset. We're like, well, that's not really going to affect the budget much now, is it? The pastors aren't going to eat super well. We can't pave the parking lot. Um, We can't have bagels on Sunday morning if this is the woman giving. And we'll probably have to drink Folger's coffee. (laughs) Uh, We don't do Folgers here at City Life Church, right? This is what we're thinking. If this is the woman that's carrying our budget, we're all going down drinking Folgers coffee. Many of you have a different feeling about this woman. You have some form of compassion. And you realize that widows, women in general, were one of the most underprivileged people groups of the day. And widows were underprivileged next level. This was not a people group trying to close the gender gap when it comes to power. This is a people group group trying to create a gender canyon. Women were not allowed to be educated the same way that men were allowed to be educated. Women were not allowed to have the same jobs. And therefore, when your husband died, your provider died. Are y'all with me? When your husband died, your provider died. This, This woman is a part of an oppressed people group. Here's what I'm trying to say. This woman has every excuse not to give. Every counseling session I've been in where we talk about giving, every discipleship session that I've been in where we talk about giving, I hear these things. I don't have enough money to give. I don't come from money. I don't have a good job right now. Let me just rock this woman for you. She's got all of these problems. You don't have enough money? She's got none. You don't have a good paying job? She doesn't either. She's not even allowed to get educated. She's not even allowed to get a job that she wants to get. Come on, this woman has excuses. Life is beating you up right now. That's why I'm not giving because life is beating me up. Talk about this woman. Huh? God hasn't given me enough to give. Talk about this woman. This woman has you and me, our grandma, our dog, our aunt, our father... She's got them all beat. This woman is a, is a woman of God. She doesn't take generational oppression into her system. She isn't about to take her circumstances as a reason not to praise God. She does it like, like Bethel music. I am no victim. I'm not a victim. She doesn't let her poverty win her heart because her heart is rich. She doesn't let her physical poverty ruin her faith because her faith is rich. I want you to watch this woman. She's dressed up in fourth-hand Salvation Army clothing. She dusts off the, the two copper coins that she has, the one penny, and she wanders over to the giving box, and here's what she's communi- communicating. I'm going to give out of my poverty. I'm going to give my way out of poverty. How impressive is that? 
I'm going to give my way out of poverty. My husband was not my provider. My God is my provider. My oppression is not my identity. My God is my identity. My people group is not, is not all of it. Jesus, I didn't know Jesus yet. God is my people group, you understand? This woman is saying, I'm not a victim here. I'm going to walk over with all that I have, and I'm going to put it in the box. And Jesus says, you may be looking down at this woman, but I want you to look up at her. Here's what he does, verse 43. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, uh, and Jesus says, look, he kind of walks around the room and says, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. Teaching moment. He says, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the, uh, to the offering box, for they all contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, all she had to live on. Again, Jesus failed math, but he invented faith. He says, this woman wins. She gets the prize. Her faith wins. She gave the most. But Justin, that's not going to pay the bills. How is she going to pay the bills? How is she going to buy bread later? Some of you have to stop worrying about your physical bills and start, start worrying about your faith bills. Because your budget's real nice, but your faith is broke. This woman is rich. She's not impoverished. Some of you are this woman and your giving is going to make a pin drop on the budget, but a tidal wave in the kingdom of God. Think, think about this woman's pin drop here. She drops in two, two small copper coins, the equivalent of one penny. The elders aren't going to get together after this and go, you know what, we can construct that edifice now, because Eunice gave her one, one penny. That's not going down. But the king of kings is going to gather his disciples who happen to be the pastors of the early church church plants, and he's going to teach, her, teach them about this woman. And then they're going to teach their people about this woman. And then they're going to teach their people about this woman. And then this woman's going to make it in the canon, in the scriptures. And her name and her voice and her, her word and her actions and her faith is going to be taught generation after generation after generation. Her giving is a pin drop on the budget. You can't even hear it. The little copper coins that go in, you probably can't even hear them. But it's a tidal wave in the kingdom of God, taught forever and ever and ever and ever. And some of you, your giving will be a pin drop on City Life's budget. This place is expensive, right? And you don't have that much, but you're giving what you got, and it's a pin drop here, but it's a tidal wave in the kingdom of God. And not only is it a tidal wave in the kingdom of God, but it's a tidal wave for your faith. I'll tell you what, if, if half of us can give like this woman, our dreams are way too small. <laughs> we talk all the time about how we want to plant churches and we want to, we want to plant a refugee home. Um, those are big dreams, but they're not big enough if we give like this woman. Does your giving have side effects? Number three, the, th- the third type of person. Uh, is your giving uh, the type of a tidal wave giver? Like when you give, there's... there's there's, there's actions that follow. The people around you see you give. I'm not, I'm not talking about because you're, you're, you're giving in front of people. I'm talking about because they know how much you have and they see how God is providing for you. Are you a tidal wave giver? That's number three. Uh, number four, and let me, let me just back up. Um, if you can just ask a saint in the room before you leave today. Ask someone who's been a follower of Jesus for more than six years, seven years, ten years. Ask them what their major faith stories are. 
And I guarantee half those are money, money faith stories. I know if you talk to me, that would, that would be my story. Last type of person in the room, the person who's not approaching the giving box, uh, we'll call them the no framework person, the person who has no framework for their giving. Or we can call them the okie doke. You know when, the, when, the, when the, the plate used to go around, maybe you're at a church right now or you were at a church, you visited a church where the plate went around and you pulled out that money that you had but you didn't really want to give it, so you went like this, you pulled this thing in and shuffled it around and you put it back in. <laughs> and I wonder if anybody saw that. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. You're the okie doke giver. You got, no, you got no framework to give. In your mind, connecting to Jesus has nothing to do with money. In your mind, discipleship has nothing to do with money. In your mind, following Jesus has nothing to do with money. In your mind, faithfulness. Money is not a part of it. You've never given. You have no framework for giving, and you don't, giving, and you don't care to really look into it. Because you know if you look into it, and Jesus says this is what faithfulness is, you're going to be like, oh, shoot, i got to give something. you got no framework. I'm just telling you you're missing out. Not only, not only can I safely call this unfaithfulness, um, that you are not being faithful to Jesus, that you are not registering the fact that this is his money, not yours, um, but you are also missing out on this big faith journey. I, I would be remiss if I did not give you a framework. Um, Ann and I have a very intimate giving life. We give together. Um, we, we've always given together as a couple. We've learned a lot, a, a lot about giving. We've been giving for, I don't know, 15, 16 years uh, individually and then as a couple. And so I just want to share my framework because I didn't really, I, I went over this all week, like how do I do this, how do I, how do I end this, and this sounds like it's going to be a lot, but I have three scriptures for you, okay? Three scriptures that, that really identify my wife and I's framework for giving. This is how we give, you can put those up there. Uh, this is how we give, these things shape our giving, like worship team, come up here. I know that this sounds like it's going to be like 10 minutes, but it's only going to be like five minutes. Um, and I, I want to give you something tangible, a way to give, because I don't want to yell at you for about 30 minutes and go, you need to give, and you need to be like this woman, and then not give you any way to give. I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. And so I want to teach you the three verses that really shaped our life when it comes to this. Uh, and, and they all have to do with portion uh, and, and meat, like crops and meat. And that's because the metaphors back in the day have to do with portions of crops and meat. And so I know there's some vegetarians in the room, but that wasn't really that big of a deal back then. These people were eating some meat, okay? That's how they lived. All right, so, so most of the stuff has to do with portions of meat or portions of crop. And so these are the three verses that really shape our giving. Uh, this is, and I'm not going to give you the whole verse, but I'll, I'll read you the verse at least. It won't be up there, but I'll, I'll give you the main point of it. This is Proverbs 3, 9. And, and look, before I do this, this is, this is what portion, how much, and what heart. That's what I'm giving you. What portion to give, how much, and really what your heart should be. That's pretty comprehensive to end off here, right? Okay. First one, Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. First fruits. Meaning, money for me and Ann, the first part's coming out. One time I ate a chicken bone because I saw, I saw uh, Francis Chan do it, and I ate the whole chicken. I said, oh man, I, we, we, need, we, need, we need first to give to this, we need to first do that, we need to pay this bill, go out to the movies four times, go, go to dinner three times, and then what I had left over was this chicken bone. I didn't want to do it again because it was gross in the morning, eating chicken, eating banchan is always good, but it was cold, it was gross. Okay, but, but you get the point. 
Okay? That's what you're saying, right? I need to pay this, I need to do this, I need to pay this, pay this, pay this, pay this, pay this. And then if I have some access left over, Jesus, you can have the access. That's not the first fruit, that's last fruit. That's the rotten portion of fruit. And if that's how you want to give, you're not going to experience a giving life with Jesus. That's the access off the top. So Ann and I, uh, the first portion comes out of our paycheck. We do it automatic because we, we get forgetful from time to time. Malachi 3.10. That's the portion. First portion. Bring the full tithe. That means tenth part into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more, uh, there is no more need. Uh, I cannot teach this scripture prescriptively. Okay, there's two types of scriptures. I talk about this all the time. Two types of scriptures, descriptive and prescriptive. Descriptive is describing a place in time between Jesus and his people, between God and his people. Prescriptive is like what a doctor gives you, gives you a prescription. He says, do this forever. Okay, I cannot teach this. Uh, It's not responsible for me to teach this as a prescriptive scripture because I don't believe it is. It's a descriptive scripture. Jesus is, or God is saying, look, I I need you to give the first portion because you're not trusting and I need it to be a tenth part. So I'm not saying you need to give 10%. I'm saying that's where Ann and I started. Because we're like, that's a pretty good percentage. You need to pick a a portion, and it needs to be the first portion. This is giving. Super practical. We're not walking out of here without me yelling at you some practical stuff, okay? Super practical. The, The first portion and a percentage. Now, we don't want that to be our last percentage. Ann and I are like, you know what? We want the percentage to go up every year. And we've always wanted to go up every year. And we try to make that thing go up every year. Hopefully by the time we're old and gray and walking on a beach, we're giving 50%. That's our goal. Ian's like, dang, that's a lot. Okay, but that's what we're going for. That's what we're going for. First fruits, first portion, pick a percentage. How do you pick a percentage? How do you do that? Next one, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, this last one. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart or in her heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is done in relationship and joy. <laughs> this is not because you should feel guilty. There are full movements out there that are ballerific. They got big edifices, big churches all over the place, and their people are giving out of guilt. They think they're guilty giving their guilt offerings are going to make their way to heaven and therefore they give portions out of guilt. But this is not what giving to Jesus is. Giving to Jesus is in relationship, in joy. You in prayer saying, Jesus, how much do you want from me? What's my widow's gift? What's my tithe? What's my first part? How can I, what's my process? And then he gives it to you. And then you walk over to that box, so you get online and you text to give. There's no scripture for texting to give. But you, you text to give and you text that thing and you do it in joy because you know that your Jesus, your Father, is your shelter. He's your provider. It's his money. He loves you as a son. He loves you as a daughter. And of course, he's like, I feed the birds and the birds don't do anything. I clothe the fields and the fields don't do anything. Why would I not love you? This is what this is about. It's about your faith. It's about your relationship with Jesus. It's not about guilt. It's not about paying our bills. No, sir. It's about your relationship with Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's how we give. 
And I promise you, like he promises, he's got you. He'll put money in your mailbox. He'll help your percentage go up. He'll pay the taxes when they come around. He'll put food on the table. And he'll do it in an intimate way. Let me pray for you. I hope you see that I love this topic. I'm walking with a pastor the other day and he hates the topic. It's like, I hate talking about this. I love talking about this because it means so much to me. Jesus has taken care of my family. That's so good. He's always taking care of us. And the other day I was complaining a little bit. Uh, and someone in my life is super blunt and they're like, since when do you worry about money? And I had some stupid reason. Uh, but I went back to worrying about money when he doesn't deserve that. He's always taking care of me. Uh, love you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus. You are my provider. You provide for my family. You provide for my wife, for my kids, for my friends provide for this church family who a year plus ago was kind of drowning in money in the wrong way and now you've given abundantly through these people God help us have the heart of the widow help her be one of our faith heroes and God I pray through your Holy Spirit you talk to each person in this room and teach them what process looks like stand up and worship the giver.